Here we go. I don't know how you throw it to me, but I'm ready. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> I always try to make it super open-ended. Yes. Perfect. Lent is Lenty, right, Lindsay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that what you put? Because that's awesome. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh. Oh, okay. Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 122. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay. And today we are talking about Lent. Lent comes providentially to awaken us and to shake us from our lethargy. These words from Pope Francis rings true as we enter another season of Lent. In these last few years and even weeks, we certainly have been shaken awake by the events and circumstances of the world. So as we journey through Lent this year, it seems a good time to remember why we undertake this spiritual journey, and that even during times of trouble, isolation, and division, we truly do make the journey together. But first, the best way that you can support the Modern Lady Podcast is by giving us a rating and review on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. Your reviews, especially on iTunes, can really help others who might be interested find our podcast too. Your comments mean the world to us. This week's shout out goes to listener Paige Watts, who sent Lindsay such a fun package from Wales last week and included a note to us in the package that said, quote, thank you for all of the hard work you and Michelle put into the podcast. The time and research you put into each episode really shines through, and I always come away feeling that I've learned something new and had fun along the way, end quote. Well, thank you so much, Paige, for your kind words and support. Your thoughtfulness means so much to us, and it was fun to know you're listening all the way in Wales. And if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com, or you can leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our Modern Lady Tip of the Week. With the first birds of spring chirping and the weather slowly warming up, I think now is a good time to think about doing a kitchen deep clean. Some of you might have cleaned out your pantries before Lent. You might have actually used up all of those ingredients that traditionally we would try to avoid until Easter, hence Pancake Tuesday and the other Fat Tuesday treats. Some of you might do the traditional pre-Passover deep clean that historically involved a candle, a feather, and a wooden spoon, checking every nook and cranny for even a single crumb. The candle would light up the darkened corners, and you would use the feather to sweep the crumbs into the wooden spoon. These crumbs are called shamets, and you would burn these items the following morning. It's all very richly symbolic. We did do an episode on spring cleaning back in March of 2019 and talked more about the spring cleaning rituals. So with this in mind, I found a post about which food items should not be stored in a pantry slash cupboard, and I was a little shocked by a few of these things. I used several different websites to compile this list. There is a lot of great info out there on this topic. So the first one that should not be stored in your pantry is garlic-infused olive oil. So why garlic-infused? Well, the fresh garlic added to the oil often contains botulism, and therefore it can make someone very sick. 
This item is on all of the lists and I had no idea how risky it is. Even if you refrigerate it, it should be used or tossed by seven days. There are some other cooking oils that also need to be stored in the fridge. Cold pressed oils like sunflower and truffle have a short shelf life and they're more expensive. So it is best to try to extend their shelf life a little bit by keeping them cold. Pure maple syrup. Tis that time of the year here in Southern Ontario. It's tree tapping time. Time to visit the sugar shack with your classmates. And pure maple syrup, especially the organic kind, can go moldy pretty quickly. And if it's in a dark bottle, you won't see it. So store that liquid gold in the fridge. Now this one is nuts. No, seriously, it's nuts. You shouldn't store nuts in the pantry. But the main reason here is that you often reach your hand into the bag to grab some. And every time you do that, bacteria from your hand transfers onto the nuts and can populate more easily in the warmth. Putting them in the fridge will also help prevent them from tasting stale. Now this one surprised me. Whole grain flours need to be stored in the fridge because both the bran and the germ are used and there's oil present in that flour and that oil can go rancid. Your all-purpose flour is fine to be stored in the pantry though. There are some more items that just seem a bit more obvious like ketchup, mayonnaise, mustard, and natural peanut butter. The one item on the list that bothers me the most though is jam. Once opened, jam can last a long time, but it has to be stored in the fridge. And I never do that because I don't like cold jam on my toast. And last, but certainly not least, is wine. Opened wine should not be left on the counter. It should be recorked or sealed and stored in the fridge. So, Michelle, was there anything on that list that mm. surprised you? Um, Actually, the wine ah. <laughs> that you just mentioned. So, like, white wine is a natural stick back in the fridge yes. for me. Yes. But I did not know, like, even red wines. Yes, I'm, I have corked red wine open, okay. like that I've recorked on our counter, and it's been sitting there for weeks. So I didn't know oh, that I one know. either. <laughs> but yes, what happens? I just want to know what happens to it. It doesn't I still drink it. <laughs> yeah, I think I don't think it goes okay. bad. You could try it. All right. um, but yeah, I think it loses a lot of its flavor or what made it so good. So okay. I guess you would still let it sit out and like put it in a carafe or decant it and let it come back up to room temperature um, before okay. you serve it again. Whew, good to know. <laughs> Prayer and fasting and almsgiving, oh my, Lent is indeed upon us. In our conversations with friends and family at the start of this year's season, we realize that many of us share similar challenges when it comes to Lent. But what we also realized is that it makes the burden far lighter when we're able to remember that we walk through it together. Right, Lindsay? That is right. So, you and I were both writing our notes last night, which was just mere hours before Lent starts. And yeah, <laughs> right. And now obviously when this is played a week from now, um, it will be, will be a full week into it, but we have talked about Lent in previous episodes, but then this year I had another conversation with some of our listeners and they shared with me some of the struggles that they have every year. And because you and I realized we share those same struggles, we thought it's good once again <laughs> to revisit yeah. Lent as an episode. Well, yeah, if the church um, <laughs> feels that it's important for Lent itself to come around every yes. year, then we're allowed to talk about it every year. Yeah. So just to recap, before we get into talking about all the things to do with Lent, Lent itself is the 40-day period before Easter Sunday, starting on Ash Wednesday, where Christians are called to draw closer to Jesus in his suffering, uh, passion, and death on the cross through acts of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. 
you know, Michelle, I've noticed a resurgence in other denominations looking at Lent, uh, perhaps in a new way. I'm, I'm noticing mm. um, a couple other like Christian influencers talking about Lent more than I've ever noticed in the past. Maybe it's I'm just seeing that. Um, maybe other denominations have done it, um, aside from the, like the liturgical churches, like Lutherans and Anglicans um, and Catholics. But I do see it really becoming a bigger thing, which really is wonderful, right? It is a really mm-hmm. important season, uh, liturgical season for us as Catholics. And so, yeah, I think that there's a lot of benefits to everyone. So if you're listening and this is all new for you, keep on listening. There's a lot of great stuff we're going to share. We're also going to look at some of those struggles that the people messaged us about and about how to persevere throughout the 40 days. And we will look at some Lenten and Easter traditions from Ukraine. So before we start, we would like to take a moment and acknowledge how awful the situation is in Ukraine. We wholeheartedly stand with the people of Ukraine and have their fight in mind as we record this episode. We see you, those of you in Eastern Europe, those of you close to the danger, and we are praying for you. One of the ways our podcast can help is by learning more about Ukrainian culture and sharing it with our listeners. The Lenten and Easter season is a particularly special time for the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, and so it's fitting that we begin this episode on Lent there. One of the traditions that I learned about really jumped out at me, and I got this off the website, ukrainianpeople.us. Now, after Palm Sunday Mass, Ukrainians gently tap each other with blessed pussy willow branches. This custom is known as bozreni, which means God's wounds. It is an act that calls to mind when Jesus was scourged at the pillar, but at the same time, it is an act of blessing between friends. The words that are said while it's being done translate to be as big as the willow, healthy as water, and as rich as the earth. This willow branch is then taken home and planted by the husband or son, and its growth provides hope for a successful year. If it is not planted, the branch is laid in front of holy pictures in the home and will carefully be burned the following year. On Holy Thursday, which is known as Velki Chetver, and I apologize, um, or Stratsky Krista, all of the cooking and cleaning is done on that day because after Holy Thursday, no more work is allowed. Time then is spent at religious services over the next three days. Good Friday is a solemn day and is commemorated by a strict fast. This is very similar to what we do, but no meat Mm -hmm. or dairy is consumed and also no manual labor is allowed. Even the conversation between people is different. They must speak very quietly. There is the veneration of the Holy Shroud, a representation of the sheet that was used to wrap Jesus's body. And there is a procession around the church. And when they re-enter through the front doors, the shroud is laid on the representative tomb, which is surrounded by candles, palm leaves, and flowers. Many stay on to guard the tomb in the devotion of three hours. Ukrainians, like my Polish friends, have their Easter baskets blessed. These baskets are filled with symbolic foods. There is Pascha bread, which represents Christ as the bread of life, eggs for new life, horseradish for the passion of Christ, bacon for God's mercy, cheese for moderation, Mm. salt for Christian duty, ham for the joy and abundance of Easter, butter for the goodness of Christ, and kielbasa sausage for God's favor and generosity. On Easter morning, the faithful attend the resurrection services at sunrise. 
There is a procession first that circles around the church three times. This time, though, it is halted at the front doors of the church. And this moment is meant to remind the faithful that you can't enter the gates of heaven until after the resurrection of Jesus. So then the priest sings the joyful Easter song, Christ is risen. And then he strikes the doors of the church with his processional crucifix and the faithful all sing along. And then they can finally enter the church because Christ has conquered death. And then the divine liturgy begins. Oh my goodness. I love that symbolism. Isn't that wonderful? Um, Yes. Of being halted and having to wait for like the, the priest in persona Christi Mm -hmm. to open the church doors for them. Just like Christ opens heaven for us. That's beautiful. Yeah. I really, really love that too. Now I mentioned earlier the Pascha bread. It's one of two items that I think a lot of people would associate with Ukrainian Easter. So the Pascha bread is a special bread baked for Easter and the baker is supposed to keep their thoughts wholesome and pure as they make the bread Mm. so that it is soft and fluffy and no one is allowed to interrupt the baker as it's being made. The loaves are intricately decorated with images of springtime. Three loaves are made, one in honor of nature and spring, one for the dead, and one for the living. Now, the thing that almost everyone knows um, about Ukrainian Easter is the intricately decorated and stunningly beautiful Easter eggs known as Mm. Zanka, Mm -hmm. if I'm again saying that correctly. And that means to write. It is a complicated process and a special stylus pen is used. These eggs are given as gifts to family and friends. They are sometimes decorated to match the personality of the person who it is being given to. And actually, you know, what's really interesting is my grade three teacher Mm. uh, was Ukrainian and she would bring in all of her egg painting Mm. or uh, egg decorating styluses and dyes and things like that. And with the grade three class, she taught us how to do that. So I, I remember doing that and thinking, yeah, like her eggs were like stunning. And then uh, we became friends outside of school. (laughs) My, my mom became friends with her. And so we would actually go, um, I think a year or two, even after I was in her class, to her house and continued to make those eggs, those Easter eggs. And so, yeah, what a beautiful tradition. And they really are works of art. They really are. And I love that they're passed down, right, from grandmother to grandchildren. It really is a family affair and decorating those eggs. Now, there's a really interesting legend about those eggs. And again, I got this on ukrainianpeople.us. And it it says, Mm -hmm. and I'll just read it from that website, it says, one of the most popular and oldest Psanki legends tells of a young woman who was on her way home from the market in town. She had with her a jug of fresh water for her journey and a basket of eggs. On her way, she met a stranger sitting on a rock. Thinking he must be a tired traveler, she offered him a drink of her water. When he handed her the water back, she was surprised to see that he had wounds on his hands. The stranger said nothing but got up and went in the opposite direction of the young woman. When she arrived home, she uncovered her basket and discovered that her eggs had been turned into beautifully decorated zonkies. The stranger, Mm. of course, had been Jesus Christ, and that was the first Easter morning. Oh, I like that it's tied into the Easter story. Mm -hmm. I was thinking it reminded me of the woman at the well. Yes. yes. (laughs) And the story of the woman at the well. Oh, but I do like that tie-in, and I love that that's a story in the Ukrainian culture. I love learning about all these different cultures because yeah, we, we do have our own kind of Lent and Easter culture here in North America. Um, and it, it, it's so nice. I I feel as a 
Christian and as a Catholic to learn about what people all over the world are doing, because even though it looks different, it's all the same intention. And I just think it's so um, bolstering. Yes. We truly are the body of Christ. We are the universal church, right? And Mm -hmm. I, I think that that is what I found most pleasing about doing this research. It is that reminder. We know this, but we forget it. Yeah. And like, mm-hmm. you're right to know that we're journeying through this season of Lent and then towards Easter together as a family with our brothers and sisters around the world and a world that feels so close because of social media, yet so divided right now because of things over the last mm-hmm. couple of years, particularly um, this reminder that we are all so many of us, you know, millions and millions, specifically Catholics, but a lot of people do Lent um, around the world are, 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 trying to do this together, I find it's exactly the comfort that I know I needed and the motivation to stick with it this year, particularly maybe above all other years, but to really Mm -hmm. remind my kids too that it isn't just us and it isn't just our friends at church, that it is people around the world. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when I asked on Instagram what people struggle with the most during Lent, the answer was pretty clear. Most people admit that they try to take on too much and then they burn out pretty quickly and they can't stick it with it until Easter. And I mean, I have no idea what that's got to feel like. Do you, Michelle? Oh, gee, no. (laughs) What is that? It's not like every other year of my Lenten journeys. Yeah, exactly. So we are right there with you. Um, One of the things I thought was really interesting, some people would write to me that they're really, I guess, good. And I hate to say that, but like good at Lent in the beginning and pretty good at the end, but it's that, that middle <laughs> section, right? Um, <laughs> that gets hard. So we'll talk about that in a minute when we talk about the virtue of perseverance. Um, but we thought we would just break down Lent a little bit more right now, but we thought we'd just look at the three main aspects of Lent. Um, and, and in some ways, again, like we always say, the church already made it simple for us. I think we tend yeah. to <laughs> complicate things. Um, and so the church and her wisdom has Lent broken down into three components, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, like you referred to earlier, Michelle. So let's mm-hmm. just talk about those just a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember thinking one year, like, my goodness, I don't even do those things very well. Right. Like, yes. I'm trying to get creative and think out of the box. And I'm like, oh, but the first three <laughs> that the church actually suggests, I'm like, okay, so what would Lent look like if I gave myself a a bit of a break in terms of trying to think of something um, new (laughs) and I don't know, just did what the church suggests. Yeah. Crazy, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And here's another thing um, that, you know, it comes to me every year when we start to consider what to do for Lent and how to incorporate these three pillars of Lent into our disciplines for the next 40 days. But it's just that, like, I find it really easy to get tempted away from forgetting why Mm. these three things yes and that when I whenever I start to lose that sense of why like that book that both of our husbands got at their conferences (laughs) that neither of us have read yet yes that I'm staring at right now yeah it's still on my desk yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah I know me too I don't even know where mine is but I know the title Mm -hmm. and it is start with why. Mm -hmm. And when I don't start with why, that's when I get tempted to maybe take on too much or I get tempted to take on someone else's disciplines that they've chosen for themselves. And those are harder to stick to than when I try to examine for me in my stage of life and where I'm at right now, why would the church, why would Christ be inviting me 
to go deeper into prayer? Right. Why is Christ inviting me this year to explore um, fasting or almsgiving? Um, why? And then start from that square one. I came across a really simple graphic that I thought really explained it well. And it was like, why prayer? It helps you grow in love of God. Why fasting? Mm. It helps you grow in love of self, but not in a new agey way. I think in like a properly ordered way, right? When you have to detach from earthly pleasures mm. and almsgiving, it helps you grow in love of others. So love of God, a proper love of self and a love of others. Hmm. Oh, that's really good. Because yeah, and those are three things that can easily become derailed mm -hmm. with um, many to-do lists and many distractions. Those are like the three most important things. Yes. Um, and they're the first three to go. So <laughs> yeah, Lent, like in the the uh, first quote that I was mentioning for this episode, it's a, it's time of awakening to yeah. shake us um, back to what matters and so it's good that it's every year and that the church has a prescribed methodology that it can suggest to us again and again every year to refocus us. Yeah. Pope Francis said something else, too, where he calls it a season of conversion, which I love because mm. conversion isn't one and done. Right. It doesn't necessarily just happen mm -hmm. one time in your life. Um, so the fact that it's seasonal, according to the pope, I think that that's really interesting and that we can continuously in our faith, like mat mature. You and I were actually talking about that before we yes. started recording, right, about our own lives and how it has a maturation process. Um, so we can look at this season as a season of conversion um, and that we think we fool ourselves into like, well, yeah, prayer, fasting, almsgiving. Yeah. We do that every year or yeah, we try that at different times that are outside of Lent. And, but you're right. Every time we're like, I can't, we can't master these. <laughs> like we have so yeah. much trouble <laughs> not even mastering, but just staying consistent with them. And so God yes. and his loving fatherly ways gives us a new chance all the time yes. to work on these three simple things. Well, yeah, seemingly simple. And I know. <laughs> yeah. On the surface, simple. Mm -hmm. And it's like that big picture of the, the iceberg yes. where it's just the point sticking at the top and then you have the massive thing underneath. Yes. But doesn't that paint su such the appropriate picture though? Like we go into Lent and um, some aspects of Lent, I think, do um, ask us to focus on a very penitential mm -hmm. and somber uh, look at God and our relationship with God and what sin does to us and yes. what it does to our relationship with him. And that's very solemn and uh, serious. But underneath that all, he's still the same God and that God is a father. Yeah. And so when you were just saying that, like every year, he gives <laughs> us an, an, another little push to be better and yes. to do better. Isn't that so fatherly? Yeah. It's like the father who's teaching his child to ride a bike. And time after time, they fall off. And time after time, he picks them up, dusts them off and says, okay, try it again. And I love that image of the Father leading us through Lent. Mm -hmm. Okay, Michelle, so why prayer? Um, we'll look at all three, but let's start with prayer. Why prayer? Well, I found a really good simple why prayer. Mm. And, <laughs> and this definition just says prayer because it leads man to turn to God. Yeah. And I was like, well... Yes, of course. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes. Internet, thank you so much. <laughs> but it went on to actually talk about, so this is actually putting fasting a little bit in here, which we'll get to more in a minute, but that once we're released 
from attachments through fasting, that prayer then leads man to turn to God. Yeah. Right. And it reminded me of the whole saying of nature hates a vacuum. Yeah. And I don't think I considered it from a spiritual perspective before, but it's true. Like if we're trying to detach ourselves from things, um, even if they're like good things or bad habits or something like that, there now is a space. And so what are we filling that space with? Are we allowing it to be filled by something automatically? Or are we being intentional about replacing that thing that we fasted from or that thing that we're giving up for Lent? Are we being intentional about putting God in that place? And that would be prayer. Yes. And I mean, we do these 40 days because Jesus went 40 days into the desert and he prayed. Mm -hmm. That was what he did. Mm -hmm. And he is God himself. He is. Yeah. Right. And so he (laughs) needed that time to pray. And if he needed that, my goodness, do I ever need it? And I think one of the things I've been working on over the years is trying to carve out prayer as a a time for me to listen. Um, I try to fill so much of my prayer time clearly as I am a talker with talking. It's all (laughs) me talking to God. And I look at this period of Lent uh, more as an opportunity to listen. Um, I've mm. found as you and I've joked about that Lent happens to me every year and I brace myself mm. <laughs> because we end up usually having quite a few things happen, uh, within our family every year during this period. So as much as I think I should be doing, um, if I'm actually just prayerfully open to hearing what God's asking of me during this period, it becomes very clear. So I do look at it as this Lenten period, more as a prayer, like a prayer within the desert, um, separating yourself from a lot of those other things, like you're saying, detaching, and then really having that silence and that time to hear what God is asking of me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the church, again, in her wisdom, a lot of the suggested prayers, that the church suggests or devotions during Lent, I guess they do have a disposition of listening right. attached to right. it, right? So even something like the Stations of the Cross yes. devotion, right? That is a meditation um, on the 14 points or parts of uh, Jesus's passion yep. and death on the cross, right? And so Catholics, especially on Fridays during Lent, we uh, try to make time to do the Stations of the Cross devotion and immerse ourselves in the passion story. And that requires nothing creative for you to say. It is a led meditation to draw you deeper into just sitting with our Lord during his passion. And so I love that the church, even through its calls to read the Bible more, to um, maybe try to pause throughout your day a little bit more often, you're essentially uh, saying what the church is recommending for mm-hmm. us to do, right? Mm-hmm. Which is to dispose yourself to openness to God. And once again, I guess that really ties into the definition where that it will naturally turn you then to God, your thoughts. And then your actions. It definitely feels more meditative, right? It doesn't feel like it's a time yeah. of, of long litanies or like that type of praying. Um, another right. simple one that people can do is meditate on the seven last words of Christ on the cross. Oh, like right. a lot, like you're saying, mm. a lot of the devotions uh, around this period, around this liturgical season are very contemplative and meditative. So it is a very different feeling of prayer maybe than the rest of the year. So lean into that. Like there's a reason why it's mm-hmm. that, like what you're saying and why historically people have prayed like this, which does seem different um, during the Lenten Lenten period. So don't think you have to say everything. Don't think you have to fill all the days with all of these elaborate prayers. Um, 
enter into the desert. Mm -hmm. So why fasting? Um, We did an episode a long time ago on fasting, and I don't even know if it's still available because a lot of the podcast um, hosting uh, platforms remove old podcasts. Um, Mm -hmm. But we did talk a lot about the spiritual aspects of fasting before. Um, Why fasting during Lent? Well, because it's hard. (laughs) It is suffering, (laughs) right? And we need to detach. Mm -hmm. We need to grow in self-control and self-discipline. And fasting and prayer always go hand in hand throughout the history of the church. Mm -hmm. I found a really great definition of fasting, uh, especially as it pertains to Lent, Mm -hmm. on Mm catholiclink.org. And it said it's a restriction of consumption, Mm -hmm. a deprivation of evil, and a privation of good Mm -hmm. for the glory of God. Mm -hmm. And I loved this definition because I think it frames uh, fasting appropriately in a time when we could take deprivation and restriction aspect in many other ways. And then that last line there for the glory of God. Um, I love that because I know for myself, sometimes the fasting would be just the culture of giving us something up for Lent. Yeah. I kind of miss, miss the boat (laughs) on that, on the why and um, all these things, even the process of getting, uh, of trying to grow in virtue and to grow in holiness and to become closer to God, all of that is ultimately for his glory. And to keeping that framework in mind, I think fasting has a unique way of helping keep those things focused because it drops all the distractions. I think so too. And I think this is the one that trips up a lot of people, especially moms. I'm talking to you young moms out there. The question I see all the time on Catholic women's groups is, I'm pregnant. I can't fast. I'm breastfeeding. I can't fast. My children are really little and I'm not sleeping. um, You know, you don't have to starve yourself. Um, Fasting traditionally in the church is the one main meal and then two smaller meals. Um, but you can just try to not snack. You can just, you know, delay mm-hmm. a little bit, even 10 minutes, 20 minutes, make an intentional delay. And in when you eat, um, so I think that it, we, again, we overcomplicate it. It does not mean yes. that you're just drinking water and not eating all day. Um, all of us can fast in different ways. And that's where the church does come up with its ideas of like, yeah, fasting from your phone, fasting from TV, um, those things as well. But mm-hmm. you have to suffer a little bit. Like it has to hurt a little bit yes. so that it can transform you, right? Whatever it is that you're fasting from. Pope Francis um, links fasting, if it's done with the right intention, into almsgiving. So he says... Fasting makes sense if it really chips away at our security and, as a consequence, benefits someone else. If it helps us cultivate the style of the Good Samaritan who bent down to his brother in need and took care of him. So when we're fasting and particularly from food, but really anything like material good that we have an attachment to, one of the things that should transform within us is our understanding of the people who have to go without. It is a luxury Mm. to give something up. It really is, right? And so it should bring our thoughts to our brothers and sisters. Um, And then once we're thinking about them, our hearts will naturally transition towards almsgiving. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, that's such a good point. And you know what? I think that fasting is something that, uh, like you said, we can get, we can kind of complicate it in our minds. Yeah. But again, the fact that the church says too fast but then doesn't give us like a 40 page step-by-step guide on what that exactly means. Yeah. 
means that in her wisdom, she's telling you, the church is tell, is giving it to you to determine <laughs> what does that look like for me this year? Yes. Um, and so to not worry about that, like, again, it's the whole concept of comparing, like, you know, I can't fast the way so-and-so is yes. fasting. Uh, maybe that was God's call for them. <laughs> what is God calling for you? Because the church does not make a distinction between their discernment and yours. That's right. And so to be wise about that. And I just like by way of suggestion, one thing that I think sometimes as well we forget about fasting is that it can also mean not to indulge. Yes. So if you're in a stage where you can't give up food per se, you could give up enjoyable foods. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> right. Um, so as an example, our kids uh, have decided this year they're going to give up flavoring their water mm-hmm. <laughs> at dinner yep. with those little drops like Dasani or Kool-Aid. And we don't tend to have much juice or pop. So that's their thing. And they yeah. really love it. And so for Lent, they're just going to opt to have plain water instead. Yeah, that's wonderful. They still need yeah, they still need water, but maybe they won't indulge in the special bit, in yeah. the the treat aspect. Or like to give another example, like if you're going to have a sandwich or you're going to have a piece of bread or a slice of toast, maybe you voluntarily take the crust part. Yeah. <laughs> like that, I don't know about anyone else, but I tend to like filofax my way past when we open up a new loaf of bread. <laughs> Yes. Is that the right word? I don't. I do. Rolodex? Rolodex. You know what I mean? It. Yes, I do. Yeah. My finger deck? My fingers are moving? Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I just move through bread like that and don't want the crust. Yeah. <laughs> but perhaps, yeah, not indulging is also a way of fasting. Could you give everyone their share first and then you take the the burnt one yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. left over on a tray, things like that. So yeah, the church is very uh, gracious in her call to fast. She just asks that you do it intentionally and with the right intention at heart, you will do something that that also encourages you to grow in virtue and character. Yes. And I think that honestly, if if what most people are struggling with is staying consistent and actually sticking to it, that comes back to mm choosing something that is doable right right from the beginning it yeah. sounds so grand to give up um to be like i'm going to do two meals a day or i'm going to fast for 20 hours every day um and, mm-hmm. and then you might think of the person who's like well i'm just not going to put sugar in my coffee um or yeah your children what your children are doing and, and some people might be like oh what's that but if they're the ones who stay consistent in that for the entire 40 days yeah that is the mm-hmm. greater truly the greater reward i guess uh they really stuck with it and to me that is an obvious i think to everyone that is the goal actually it isn't about picking the lofty mm-hmm. thing and then giving up so really um yeah if it's something like another one that is not seasoning your food so not putting salt and pepper on your food um so right. that tastes a little bit more bland but it really being careful about what you're giving up and so it is something that you can suffer a little bit so that it's noticeable but that you will stay consistent mm-hmm. and to remember that whatever you decide to do for lent you're not locked in yeah Right. There's no like heavenly contract. contract. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You can adapt and you can. So if you start, it would probably be better to start with something small. Yes. Um, And then if you get two weeks in and you're like, you know what, this isn't really that hard for me. I think I underestimated Mm -hmm. this year. You can be like, you know what, I'm going to add a step now. Why not? And conversely, if you did maybe over um, overshoot 
this year. You get get two weeks in, you're like, I'm not keeping up here. She's like, you know what? Let's adjust. Let's adjust. That's totally fine because it's the why. Why are you doing this? And then just as one other note, I love what she talked about um, not seasoning your food because it reminded me a digital example is our friend Mountain Butoric, the Catholic traveler. And for Lent, what he does digitally is he changes his whole phone to just be black and white. Yeah grayscale so he doesn't yeah grayscale and so he doesn't necessarily give up social media but anything he consumes on his phone during lent is in grayscale and he says it's it makes it way less pleasurable way less indulgent and i always laugh because he he's like the angry messages have started (laughs) (laughs) of people who decided to join him and they're like oh what is this (laughs) yeah so that, that it seems to be something that's very challenging and that could also be another another option so almsgiving, and if you guys have never heard mm-hmm. that word before, it is just giving to the poor. It's an act of charity. It's it's giving, you know, um, money usually, um, but time and talent and skills. So it's just doing that um, more regularly, more with more intention during this Lenten period. And as I said earlier, this very act, it strengthens our love for others. That's why we do it. Um, so we mm. want to grow more in love with God and more in love with our brothers and sisters during this period, and then properly order our love of self and put it in its proper position, <laughs> um, yeah. through all of this. So yeah, almsgiving, um, you know, a lot of people will do, um, uh, donations to a charity of food. Like they'll do a big donation to the food bank. Their kids will put stuff like in a basket every day of Lent or that kind of thing, and then drop it off at the end. Um, I know one of the simple things that we do is, you know, every time you're at a checkout and they ask if you want to donate a dollar or two, whatever charity mm-hmm. during the whole time of Lent, we say yes, every single time to whenever somebody on a street corner or, um, there's a donation box or somebody asks us that it's always a yes. And it might be a, a, just a dollar. Um, but it's just, we always make sure that it is a yes during that period. Mm-hmm. Something Pope Francis said in his Lenten message from 2020 was that charitable giving makes us more human, yeah. whereas hoarding risks making us less human, yes. imprisoned by our own selfishness. And I was like, oh my goodness. Once again, we hear that message of liberation, mm-hmm. right? Like freeing us from ourselves yeah. <laughs> essentially uh, and that charity can do that and also that message that it makes us more human I think that's a striking remark in a world that becomes increasingly more digital yeah. and online and where we do risk in a lot of ways losing that human connection to other people but also risk losing being able to see the inherent dignity of our humanity, even in ourselves, the, the act of going beyond ourselves for the good of someone else keeps all of us more human, both in the recognition of human dignity and like in the other person and in ourselves too. One of the things Pope Francis said years ago that has always stayed with me is about that very thing. And it's like, if you can't give money or anything else to help a homeless person, at least at the very least, look them in the eye look them, see Mm. them, give them a smile, make that connection. Don't turn away. Don't look down, give them your eye contact, show them that you see them. And, um, that is something I've always tried to do since Pope Francis asked us to do that. And I mean, if you don't have change on you or any way to do that, at least practice that, get used to looking people in the eye again. Mm -hmm. I love that. 
this is loosely quoted from St. Augustine, but he says that the two wings of prayer are um, almsgiving and fasting, that they kind of, I guess, like mm. lift the prayer up, that they um, that they help our prayers when we're doing those physical acts, which I think is really, really neat, and that they're the signs yes. of humility and charity. Um, it all works together, right? Again, why are we trying to complicate say, it? Yeah. It's like the framework is all right there. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I I love that. And you're right. When you put it that way, it makes so much sense because those are the things, the fasting and the almsgiving are the ones that break the chains. They they cut the ties of what's holding us down um, so that when we pray, we can go up, we can fly, we can fly to the heavens. Oh my gosh. Beautiful. So I came across an interesting uh, page of suggestions when it comes to almsgiving from missionimpact.svdmissions.org. And yeah, they kind of section it by intentions and you can toggle through the intentions based on what your intended focus of almsgiving is this year. So for example, um, they suggest if you want to give locally, for example, your alms go locally, you could make or pay for dinner for someone you know. Mm -hmm. And it could be like a young couple with children who could use a night out or a break or a family who's struggling with illness, or maybe even a student who is studying away from home, right? Make them a meal. Uh, If you wanted to practice almsgiving with a focus on practicing detachment, then you could commit to giving money to like what you do, the next good cause that crosses your path. Yes. Um, or, and this one is so good. <laughs> I love this one. Let your children pick how you're going to give alms mm-hmm. during Lent. And I was like, oh, that is good. Because mm-hmm. not only would it be difficult to hand over the control <laughs> of your almsgiving <laughs> detachment, um, but also it's a great way to practice it together as a family. Oh, I love that. And there's something um, I used to do when my kids were a lot younger, and I've been considering doing it again, um, is that um, my kids always had the opportunity during Lent to make money, which they don't usually, my kids don't make an allowance for chores. Um, but then I would mm. give them money for their what they do around the house during Lent, and then they get to put however much they earned in the collection basket themselves on Easter. Oh, and it made so them excited good. that they earned that money from helping their family and they were able to give it. Um, they really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. I love that. And it makes it so tangible, yeah. um, especially for little ones to be able to see what it does, like the fruits of your labor yeah. in service of other people. Yeah. I really love that. Um, and then the last, the last toggle of a <laughs> choice of focuses, I guess, is if you want to strengthen your prayer life by means of almsgiving, then they suggest offer masses Mm -hmm. for the souls of those you love. And the website reminds us um, in these words, it says, quote, participating in the mass is the highest form of prayer we can make. So asking to have masses said for your special intentions, you can make a donation in Thanksgiving, end quote. And that is one way to um, give alms in a spiritual sense. And I thought those were really neat um, suggestions and tips for how we can make almsgiving a part of our Lenten focus this year, too. Okay, I love that reminder about paying for masses. Um, There is a a thing that circulates among among Catholics um, that says, 
roughly like one mass offered when someone is living is worth way more than masses off- offered after they're dead. Now, just to clarify, mm. a mass's value, the, ma- the value of a mass doesn't actually change. But what that means is that if you're having a mass offered for somebody while they're living, they it can impact them where they can actually change their life while they're still living. <laughs> There's a lot that oh, can right. happen for that person if it's offered while they're still living. After they're dead, I mean, it's just helping with their time in purgatory. And I don't say just like that's nothing. Um, but that's what it means, right? So it's really, I don't think mm-hmm. we understand that. And I don't think many of us have been taught that you can have masses offered for the living. You don't have to wait until somebody mm-hmm. that you love is dead. Um, and we try to do that on people's birthdays um, in our family. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think we all have a better understanding of what Lent is and why it's important that we do these things. And perhaps even a new understanding that we don't have to overcomplicate things that the church in her wisdom already has some great ideas just ready for us. I know that the temptation with the internet and social media that we see all these amazing crafts and all these additional things we can do and special things to bake. I'm looking at you salt dough crown of thorns that I, with the toothpicks that I want to make every year <laughs> that I've never made. Me too. <laughs> right? I've always wanted to make one too. Yep. yep. And it's, I don't know if it's ever going to happen Um, that I don't, mm-hmm. I can just free myself from that crown of thorns and just do the other things. <laughs> um, But I know that for me, I'm still going to struggle with persevering through. And so we want to yeah. look at perseverance as a virtue. Um, And I think that we should just jump right into it. And I looked into it, Michelle, and It's pretty bold Mm -hmm. that if we are lacking in this virtue, it is a reflection of the softness of our character and that that's a vice, Mm. um, a softness of character. And that was a pretty big wake up call for me. So I definitely want to grow more in in perseverance. Mm, Yeah. Well, I guess the analogy fits. We often talk about growing in virtue, like working a muscle. Right. (laughs) So I suppose if we are not quite uh, developed or we're not practicing it, then, yeah, you become soft. Um, And I've yeah, I think the danger, the reason maybe why the warning is so stark of like, don't become soft is because perseverance is so necessary to achieve so many of the other virtues. Yeah. Right. Like it's always hard work. And so we talk about that all the time. Like it's a process. It's a journey. Don't worry if it takes a while, but I guess the first step is to understand, um, are you working at that, which is going to take you through the journey, through the progress. And so, yeah, it is a critical step. Yeah. And I think it is almost, um, necessary for the development of all of the other virtues, right? If you really mm-hmm. don't have this one down pat, it's really hard to grow in any of the other ones. Um, I loved it. I read that it was also described as God's gift of habitual grace, um, which mm-hmm. I think is really interesting mm-hmm. too. We always use the word habit, um, but that it is, it's a grace. It's not necessarily through our own merit, right? If we accept it yeah. as a grace that he is helping us persevere, if we accept this, oh. this gift of habitual grace. Okay, so I think this should actually inspire us and excite us um, to understand that it can be cultivated in anyone. There are, of course, some people with temperaments um, that can persevere easily, um, that are able Mm. to have a lot of self-discipline. But we should know that none of us are beyond it, that we can learn this as a habit, like with any habit, and that it can be cultivated within us. Mm -hmm. I like that, that it can be cultivated. And so it is something that you don't have to feel discouraged about if you just don't have it (laughs) as a natural tendency, right? And I do think that 
sheer willpower may be how we naturally tend to approach these disciplines at first. But why? Why do we do that to ourselves? Like, um, we just decide one day, I'm going to do this now. And then we expect it to just happen easily because we willed it into existence. That's right. And no, that's God who does that. He wills things into existence. So we may need a more strategic approach and a lot of grace to help. And that's okay. Um, And I think that's smart, actually, that God uh, gave us the mind with which to think things through. Um, to strategically approach things, that is a grace in and of itself. And then coupled with what you were saying, that perseverance in and of itself as a virtue can be a gift by which the Holy Spirit helps us yeah. to grow. It, it's It all works together. One of my favorite things I ever heard about willpower, and I think I've talked about this before on the podcast, but bear with me, um, was actually from the creator mm-hmm. of The Whole 30. Um, she talked about okay. how we only have a certain capacity for willpower in our day. Like we do, we, like we're going to run out of it. You're only, you only have a little bit. And what happens is we're already making decisions that require an act of the will from the second our alarms go off in the morning. Do we hit snooze? Mm. Do we get right up? Do we, you know, and then do we eat breakfast? Do we not eat breakfast? What do we eat? Do we get the kids up? Like it's already, we're already having to use a lot of our willpower by 9am. Like we are, Mm. and then we're just Mm -hmm. running on the fumes, right? So if that's what you're, if that's what you're waiting on, if you're waiting on this sudden burst of willpower, like you're saying, and you've never really um, stretched that muscle or gotten used to doing that, you're, you're bound to fail. Ultimately, you're going to run out of steam. You're going to burn out. And then if you're like, me, you're just done then because I'm very much an extremist. Mm-hmm. And then if I haven't done it, then I'm just done. Instead of like you were saying earlier, go, okay, do you know what? That's not how I work. That's not working well for me. <laughs> I've gotten burned out. It's okay. Um, and I and, and by the time this episode airs, it'll be a week into Lent. And I guarantee you that some of you, and perhaps even me next week at this point, will have already yep. Yep, <laughs> given up on some of the things, right? Even one week in. Mm-hmm. But our message here over and over again is that even developing in this virtue of perseverance is an is a Lenten um practice in and of itself, right? Like that right. is something that we can actually learn to develop throughout this whole thing. So it doesn't even necessarily depend on what it is you've given up or what you've chosen to add to your life and all of those little things. Like the incidentals, they might not matter as much as the development of the virtue of perseverance <gasps> within you. Right. Like it's like uh, small goals and then big goals, mm-hmm. right? And that, yeah, there are like short-term goals of Lent, but they feed into this larger goal of becoming people of perseverance. Yes. And every year we have an opportunity to practice it in a in a focused way, yeah. in an intentional way. I love that. Yeah, I came across something awesome on the website catholiceducation.org, and it says, and I quote, uh, when we abandon the pursuit of a certain goal simply because it is difficult and demands a lot out of us, we are not the kind of people upon whom others can rely. This is why we want to mm-hmm. cultivate the virtue of perseverance in our lives. It gives us an inner strength to live our relationships well as we persist calmly and peacefully through the trials and difficulties mm-hmm. that inevitably come our way. Perseverance, like all the other virtues is a crucial life skill that gives us the freedom to love. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Okay. Lots to unpack there. (laughs) 
My goodness. <laughs> One of the things that, that jumped out at me is that um, mm-hmm. it says, I'm just looking back over, oh, calmly and peacefully. Well, again, for people yeah. who are new to Lent, let us be clear that scripture and the church tells us that we must not show on our faces that we're fasting or right. that we're here. Yep. Like, we aren't to do these things and be miserable, right? The almsgiving, the fasting, the prayer, the extra prayer time to persist in those things in a calm and peaceful way and dare I say joyful way is one of the parts of Lent as well. Yeah. And that that's actually a really good metric to, to gauge what you've taken on in order to avoid burnout. Right. So you always have to be measuring it. Like, can I do these things and still maintain calm and joy and patience and peace and and if not and that's fine because like becoming the best version of ourselves is a lifelong process then that could be a really good indication like it's the perseverance that's the metric that causes you to pause and take stock of if what you're doing is working for you yes and I think that one of the things we should acknowledge too is that we can help each other in this, that we are a universal church, right? And that Mm -hmm. we are all going through Lent at the same time as a church community around the world. Um, This is what you and I love so much about looking into what they do in Ukraine um, during this period is it reminded us of how connected we are as um, to our brothers and sisters around the world and what they're going through in that, what we're going through just even in Lent and, and these, and these things, and that we can really, help each other grow in this virtue. I did a poll on Instagram and I asked people if they felt it helped them when they saw what other people were doing in Lent or giving up. Mm. I actually didn't think a lot of people would say yes, but overwhelmingly, a very clear majority, 83% of people said, yes, it really helps them when we talk about what we're doing during Lent and how it's going for us and where we're at. So let us remember that we are all going through this, this liturgical season together um, as the body of Christ and encourage one another throughout this period. So all of that to say, you are not alone. Lent is an extraordinary opportunity to look inwards, to examine our shortcomings, to detach from the things holding us down, keeping us from joining Jesus at the foot of the cross on Good Friday. It isn't easy. I mean, how can it be? But you were made for this. You in your corner of the world, you with your own unique customs and traditions, you can persevere in this because you know that Easter is coming and that we are an Easter people. We are people of hope. Okay, it's time for our What We're Loving This Week segment of the show. So Lindsay, what have you been loving this week? Okay, so I mentioned this podcast a lot in our reframing episode, um, but I can't stop listening to the St. Jose Maria Institute podcast. Um, Mm. While I do not currently belong to Opus Dei, I do love the concept, their concept of sanctifying ordinary work. I mean, that's what we talk about all the time on this podcast, right? It's kind of a (laughs) favorite theme of ours. Um, Yeah, just a bit. Yeah, and I have a personally, I have a very deep affection for St. Jose Maria Scriba. Um, The whole thing with 
St. Jose Maria is that his advice is short and it is to the point. Um, so mm-hmm. if you buy one of his books and there, you'll notice that they're often pocket sized and that's on purpose. They're meant to be carried around. They're meant to just be opened up briefly as you're working either outside of the home or in the home and to just like read a sentence or two, but man, his small messages, they pack a really big punch mm-hmm. and they make you pause and think it is a really great thing for Lent. If you actually maybe decided to take on something too big and you want to pair back a little bit, I highly recommend St. Jose Maria's books. Now the podcast though is the same. It's just in longer format, but it has that same feeling. Like at first glance, you might mm. look at the topics and go, oh yeah, it's pretty straightforward. I, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> and the thing is though, the episodes are very stripped down, very plain. There's no intro music. There's no ads. There's no asking for people to like and subscribe and leave reviews. It's just they start with the sign <laughs> of the cross and then boom, you're you're into the message. Now, mm-hmm. the Institute rotates through a few different priests for the podcast, but each man has a, a calm, contemplative voice. They're very fatherly, very comforting. And the whole experience is just relaxing and it, it does make way for reflection. It is exactly, I think, what I need personally for this Lent. It's something I'm going to do. There's lots of episodes that I can work my way through. So yeah, just like the writings of St. Jose Maria, there's a lot of meat there, lots to unpack, um, lots of things that you maybe have never actually thought about. Um, but I promise you that you will encounter insights that you might have never heard before. And you'll keep thinking about the episodes long after they're done. So If that's what you need right now, a calm, fatherly voice guiding your days, that's exactly what I need. So it's the St. Jose Maria Institute podcast, and you can find them on Instagram at St. Jose Maria Inst, I-N-S-T. And you know what? That's, that goes with the whole, uh, by their fruits, you shall know them, Mm -hmm. right? If listening to something uh, or reading anything or doing anything online, really, if it brings about that peace and that calm yeah. in you, then you know that this is something grace-filled yes. and that this is something from God, of God, right? Because yeah. of the fruit that it produces in your life. So Absolutely. I'm glad you recommended that for Lent. I think that that would be a, a really good use of our time mm-hmm. to tune in and listen to something like that. And so Michelle, what have you been loving this week? So what I'm loving this week is actually something you told me about last year, Mm -hmm. and it's about this British celebrity, Joanna Lumley. Uh She's an actress, right? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And her documentary travel series. Um, And I haven't made it very far, admittedly, (laughs) into the travel documentaries, but I did watch her documentary, The Search for Noah's Ark, uh, Mm -hmm. last week, and I thought it was fantastic and so fascinating. So in this show, uh, Joanna travels from the British Museum to Mount Ararat. She goes to India and Turkey and all over the place, really, to look into the story of Noah's Ark. And she speaks to, you know, various faith leaders. She talks to scientists and archaeologists to try to get this big picture perspective on not only what could have actually happened, but why this story means so much to so many people. And it's really interesting. So I also find her very fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) She's quite dramatic and uh, a little bit eccentric. (laughs) And I like that. 
Um, there's one part in particular where she's trying to address the controversial subject of unicorns on the ark. <laughs> and <laughs> I just found that particularly entertaining because of how into it she was. Mm -hmm. And overall, just a really fun and interesting watch. So I do recommend checking out Joanna Lumley's Search for Noah's Ark. And I will be embarking on many more of her documentaries that are available. I just have to share how much I love her um, right now yeah. just with everybody because <laughs> I <know you> do. <laughs> so I fell in love with her in the 90s on a show called Ab Fab, Absolutely Fabulous, where she's Patsy Stone. This it's not a show I highly I can't recommend it as what I'm loving because oh, okay. I watched this before <laughs> I was um, a practicing Catholic. But what is so funny are the people like me who knew her only as Patsy Stone to see the real Joanna right. Lumley. She couldn't be more opposite. And so um, oh, okay. <laughs> she is so lovely in these document, all of her travel series. Mm -hmm. And my kids love her. And you just want to sit there as she tells you a story like she's a yes, true storyteller. Exactly. Um, yeah, they're just and, and a lot of them are available on the BBC Select um, channel that you can subscribe to. Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. If you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today, you can find us on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com or leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs, and you can find me on Instagram at mmsachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray, and you can find me on Instagram at lindsayhomemaker. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week, and we will see you next time. Mm -hmm.